Good morning, church. Grace and peace to you from the Lord Jesus Christ. Welcome to this time of worship together at Faith Community United Methodist Church. And happy Father's Day to all of the fathers who are here with us today. I'm glad that you chose to be with us in worship this day to celebrate, and I pray that you will be blessed by this time of worship together. Thank you to those who uh, provided the carnations up here for Father's Day in honor or in memory of someone. The listing of all of those names are in your bulletin. And uh, if you did order some of these, then you're welcome after the service to come up and take those home uh, with you to enjoy those at home as well. Next Sunday, our uh, preacher for the day will be Reverend Bill Kelly. Uh, Some of you may remember Bill. He was an associate pastor here back in, I believe, the late 80s. And uh, so those of you who have been here for a while might remember Reverend Bill, and uh, we'll we'll welcome him into the pulpit next week. Uh, If you've been in the contemporary service lately, you've seen Bill up on the stage. He's been playing bass uh, with the praise band for the contemporary worship, but it'll be good to have him in this service as well, bringing the message next week. So I ask you to uh, greet Bill and welcome him into the pulpit next week. The uh, Vacation Bible School is being planned. We're pleased that we're able to have Vacation Bible School again uh, this year, and the announcement about that's in the bulletin with the dates that have been selected. Uh, Your help is needed. There are lots of opportunities to volunteer to make this a time of Vacation Bible School a special time for not just the children of this church, but the children of this community who will come together here to uh, learn about God and to develop their faith and to be welcomed into this faith community. So I ask you to be a part of that. I'd invite you now to stand as you are able for the call to worship. Strength is commanding the wind and sea to obey. Strength is wielding a slingshot in the face of a raging giant. Strength is accepting vulnerability from inside the boat. Strength is standing in solidarity with the powerless. Strength is turning a cheek. Strength is loving an enemy. We come to worship our God a God who redefines our vision of strength. Please remain standing and turn to number 577, or you can see the hymn verses on the screen, God of grace and God of glory. Amen. 
Please be seated and join me in our opening prayer. God, our Father, we gather to open our hearts to you, trusting that you will welcome us with open arms. We come to worship you, the one who leads us through times of trial, the one who supports us in sorrow and struggle, the one who is beside us when all is bleak. Holy One, we praise you. Amen. Remain seated as we sing Be Still My Soul, number 534 in the hymnal and on the TV.
Let us pray together. O God, you are our maker, defender, redeemer, and friend. Our maker, you called a world into existence, creating a beautiful and harmonious world out of chaos. Our defender, you nourish the childless and encourage the faint-hearted. Our redeemer, your eternal word, the word of the Father, came to live among us in full humanity. In Jesus Christ, the righteous, fully divine, to redeem and reclaim every human situation, every stratum of human aspiration. Our friend, never do you lord it over us, but always do you come alongside as the Holy Spirit giving to us the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and strength, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Our God, on this third Sunday in June, when we pause to remember and honor and esteem our fathers, we acknowledge that as we discover these gifts within our fathers, the gifts of creation, sustenance, reconciliation, tenderness, these are first bestowals of grace, destinations of divine promise, and only then arrivals of human striving. May all of us gathered here today receive these gifts of creativity, stalwartness, redemption, and companionship for the sake of Jesus Christ and his gospel. For he taught us to call you Father, Jesus Christ, who taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Thine is the kingdom. Thank you, Rod. Uh, most of you know that uh, this Sunday is Reverend uh, Ben Webster's, Pastor Ben Webster's last Sunday with us. He's been leading our contemporary worship service at 11 o'clock. He uh, also has been pastoring Richland Crumley United Methodist Church, and he is moving on next Sunday to become the pastor of St. Paul United Methodist in Dayton. Uh, what you may not know is that uh, Pastor Ben's replacement at Richland Crumley is Rod Loop, and so we, uh, he will begin uh, leading Richland Crumley next Sunday, and so uh, we celebrate the fact that we continue to have a relationship both with Richland Crumley and with St. Paul United Methodist, and we pray God's blessing on Rod and on the people of Richland Crumley as he comes to uh, provide pastoral leadership for them. 
we have an opportunity now to give to God through our tithes and offerings. And I just remind you that I, I know that there are many people who have gotten used to giving online during the pandemic and continue to do that. So uh, if, if you do that and you don't have anything to put in the plate, that's all right. We appreciate your offering anyway. But we do uh, have this time to present ourselves and our tithes and offerings uh, to God and to the church. join me in the prayer of dedication. God of great gifts, we give you these gifts today, knowing that you are the father of gifts. You bless us constantly, providing for us, caring for us. As we have been abundantly provided for, 
so we give abundantly to the work that you give us to do, the work of the church, the care for those who are poor. Accept these gifts in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Scripture lesson is found in a handout in your bulletin and also on the monitor. You may follow along as I read Judges chapter 16, 
verses 15 to 22. Then she said to him, how can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? You have mocked me three times now and have not told me what makes your strength so great. Finally, after she had nagged him with her words day after day and pestered him, he was tired to death. So he told her his whole secret and said to her, A razor has never come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If my head were shaved, then my strength would leave me. I would become weak and be like anyone else. When Delilah realized that he had told her his whole secret, she sent and called the lords of the Philistines, saying, This time come up, for he has told his whole secret to me. Then the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hands. She let him fall asleep on her lap, and she called a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. He began to weaken, and his strength left him. Then she said, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. When he awoke from his sleep, he thought, I will go out as at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. So the Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes. They brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze shackles, and he ground at the mill in the prison. But the hair of his head began to grow again after he had been shaved. The word of God for the people of God. Amen. This is our third and concluding week in our series on, the, on Samson from the book of Judges. Uh, a quick, quick recap for those who have, may have missed the first two weeks. Samson was born a miraculous birth to a woman who had been barren. An angel of the Lord told his mother, even before she conceived, that Samson would be a Nazarite to God, who would begin to deliver Israel from the hand of the Philistines. A Nazarite was someone consecrated for a holy task and set apart by three commitments according to the law of Moses. One, they drank no wine or strong drink. Two, they did not cut their hair. And three, they did not touch or come near a dead human body. That third condition of the Nazarite law doesn't really seem to factor into Samson's story. Considering he single-handedly killed over a thousand men, it's hard to imagine he didn't come into contact with a single one of those dead bodies. Perhaps that's why when the angel of the Lord presented the conditions of Samson's consecration to his mother, there was no mention of that third condition. Samson's status as a Nazarite seems to have been based only on the first two. Those are the ones that the angel named, and those are the ones that factor into Samson's story, particularly the one about not cutting the hair. But we're not quite there yet. First, Samson decided to take a Philistine wife. That didn't work out so well. In only their first week of marriage, she betrayed him, causing him to go on a murderous rampage. And from that moment on, Samson and the Philistines were at war with each other. The Philistines were trying to capture him. He continued killing them. Behind the scenes, all of this played out according to a divine plan. 
It was God's will to wreak havoc on the Philistines, who were standing in the way of God's people and the fulfillment of God's promise. And God worked out that plan of wreaking havoc on the Philistines through a mischievous man with no moral character. The lesson that we drew from that last week is that God is in charge. God's plan will prevail. God can work that plan through anyone he chooses. If God could work his plan through a man like Samson, then God can work his plan through you and through me. You don't have to be perfect or or get your act all together before God works through you. God will work through you in spite of your flaws and, and even sometimes use your flaws to accomplish his plan. But I warned you last week, that doesn't mean that your flaws don't matter. It doesn't mean that you should flaunt your sin. Just because God can work evil for good doesn't mean that it's not evil. Just because God could use Judas to work out his plan of salvation doesn't make what Judas did a good thing. He was still plagued by guilt and condemned for his betrayal of Jesus. We need to be mindful of our own sin and our own tendency to betray our faith, to betray our God. We need to be on guard against the wiles of the devil because we will be held to account. That is where we are today in the story of Samson, a cautionary tale. Samson fell in love with a woman whose name was Delilah. The name Delilah comes from an Arabic word which means flirt. Samson fell in love with a flirt, which isn't much of a surprise. His first wife was a Philistine, and in the passage right before this one in the Bible, he spent the night with a prostitute. A respectable holy marriage did not seem to be of much interest to Samson. He liked to get in trouble. He seemed to be addicted to danger. He fell in love with this flirt, this Delilah. The Bible doesn't tell us Delilah's nationality. It says that she was in the Valley of Sorek. That was just a little bit west of Jerusalem, but long before Jerusalem was the capital of Israel. She could have been an Israelite. She could have been a Canaanite. She could have been a Philistine. We already know that Samson had a thing for Philistine women. In any case, as soon as Samson and Delilah came together, the lords of the Philistines came to Delilah and asked her to find out for them the secret of his great strength. They offered her 1,100 pieces of silver if she could give them this secret information. So Delilah went straight to Samson and asked him, point blank, tell me what makes your strength so great and, and how you can be bound so that no one can subdue you. Now, you would think that that second part of what she said would be a dead giveaway as to her motive. I mean, if she had just stopped at, please tell me what makes your your strength so great, well, that would have been a legitimate question for a woman to ask of the new man in her life. Here she is with with a man she's just recently met. He's incredibly unnaturally strong. Of course, she's going to ask, how did you get to be so strong? What gives you such tremendous strength? But then to add on, How can you be bound and subdued? I think alarm bells would start to go off in Samson's head. Especially considering what had happened with his first wife, who begged him to to tell her the answer to the riddle, and as soon as he finally did, she went right out and told it to the Philistines. You'd think Samson would say, oh no, I'm not falling for that one again. 
But it gets stranger than that. The first thing that Samson does, he, is, he, he makes up a lie. He tells her, if they bind me with seven fresh bowstrings that are not dried out, then I shall become weak and be like anyone else. And the next morning, when Delilah wakes Samson up, surprise, surprise, he's tied up with seven fresh bowstrings, and there are Philistines lying in wait for him. But he snapped the bowstrings like they were nothing, because that's what they were to him, nothing. So now he knows. He knows what Delilah's up to. If there was any doubt before, any reason to to trust or or to hope that maybe she was just curious, not trying to act, act to betray him, now he has undeniable proof. If Delilah finds out the secret of his strength, she is going to use it against him. But that doesn't stop her from trying. In the gaslighting of all gaslightings, Delilah complains to Samson that he has mocked her and lied to her, as if lying to her about the secret of his strength was worse than her trying to turn him over to the Philistines to be captured and probably killed, but whatever. This time, Samson makes up another lie. If they bind me with new ropes that haven't yet been used, then I shall become weak and be like anyone else. And when he woke up the next day, guess what he found himself wrapped in? New ropes that hadn't been used. But again... Delilah complained that Samson was being unfair to her. For the third time, Samson pretended to reveal his secret, this time saying, if you weave the seven locks of my head with a web and make it tight with a pin. You see, this time he didn't even pretend that this was a hypothetical situation. The first two times he said, if they. This time he said, if you. If you. He he knew who was going to do this. He he knew what she was up to. And sure enough, while he slept, Delilah took the seven locks of his head and wove them into a web and made them tight with a pin. Then she woke him up, and he pulled out the pin, and he shook his hair free, showing that he had deceived her once again. Now listen to what Delilah says next. I, I know you can't believe that anyone would have this much gall, but this is really what she said to him. How can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? You have mocked me three times now and have not told me what makes your strength so great. Which raises a number of questions. Is he still saying I love you? After three times she tried to betray him and bind him for capture by the Philistines? Is she still claiming to love him? And thinking that he's going to believe it? Does she really think that that she can shame him for not trusting her when she has proven three times who she really is? Does she really think this is going to work? That that she's going to get him to divulge his secret when he clearly knows what she's up to? That last one seems almost unimaginable. And yet... After she had nagged him with her words day after day and pestered him, he was tired to death. So he told her his whole secret. I guess he figured if this is what life's going to be like from now on, it'd be better just to be captured by the Philistines. This time he tells her the truth. He's been an Azrite from birth. No razor has ever touched his head. If his head were shaved, his strength would leave. 
Now let's be clear about something here. There was nothing magical about Samson's hair. His great strength was not because of his hair. His great strength was because of the Spirit of the Lord. But the Spirit of the Lord was upon him because he was consecrated as a Nazarite. If his vow as a Nazarite were broken, the Spirit of the Lord would depart him, and he would become an ordinary man. And that's exactly what happened. While he slept, Delilah had his head shaved. When he woke, he found the Philistines about to attack. He he expected that he would shake free from them, just as he had every time in the past. But this time, he found that his strength was gone. The Philistines bound him. They gouged out his eyes. They, They took him away to a prison where they forced him into grinding the mill. The Philistines rejoiced over this turn of events. They praised their god, Dagon, for delivering Samson into their hands. They had a festival to their god. They forced Samson to perform for them. But Samson's hair began to grow back. Again, the way the story is told, you you could easily get the impression there was something magic about the hair. There wasn't. The hair was a symbol of his consecration to God. When the hair began to grow back, his vow as a Nazarite was reinstated, and the Spirit of the Lord could come upon him once again. Samson prayed to God, Lord God, remember me and strengthen me only this once, O God, so that with this one act of revenge I may pay back the Philistines for my two eyes. If it hadn't been for God's Spirit rushing upon him, Samson would not have regained his great strength. His hair could have grown down to his knees, and that wouldn't have made him have great strength. It was the Spirit of God coming upon him that gave him the strength to do what he did. And God gave him that strength for a reason. It wasn't for the purpose of revenge that God sent his Spirit upon him. For Samson, it was all about revenge. That's all Samson cared about. Because that's who Samson was. He he was a sin-filled man who only cared about himself. God didn't care about Samson getting revenge. God cared about defeating the Philistines. And this is how he did it. With thousands of Philistines gathered together, under and on top of one great roof, God gave Samson the strength to knock over the pillars that held the roof. The building came crashing down, killing thousands of Philistines and Samson in one fell swoop. In this final act, Samson killed more Philistines in his death than he had during his life. The story of Samson is a tragedy. Samson was God's man, chosen to accomplish God's purpose, and he did accomplish God's purpose, but he destroyed himself in the process. And his destruction was his own doing. It would be easy for us to draw the wrong conclusion from this story. It would be easy for us to blame Delilah. I even made a joke a couple of weeks ago about how we all know not to trust Delilah. It's true that Samson was foolish to trust Delilah, but that's not what was the source of his downfall. The source of Samson's downfall was his own sinful nature. That's what caused Samson to do the foolish things that he did, his sinful nature. As I've said all along, 
Samson was a man who did whatever he wanted to do whenever he wanted to do it without any thought given to the consequences of his actions. You can only get away with that for so long. In fact, you can't actually get away with that at all. You may skirt by for a while. You may gain riches and fame in this life. Things might appear to be going your way, but the Lord will not be mocked. God is still sovereign. God's justice will prevail in the end. And God will hold to account even those through whom he has worked his divine plan. Just because God can work evil for good does not make it any less evil. And in God's kingdom, evil will not endure. Samson was a sin-filled man, and he died a sinner's death. As we all will, if we have not surrendered ourselves to the Lord. As will all people who have not received the grace of God that washes sin away and makes us holy. How tempting it is for those in Samson's position to think that they can get away with just about anything. When you're told from birth that you are God's chosen that you are special and set apart by God, when you have evidence that the Spirit of God is upon you by tremendous physical strength or, or other special gifts, it is so tempting to think, I can do no wrong. Or, I'm entitled to this. How many big-name evangelists have fallen from repute when it, when it was revealed that they were unfaithful in their marriages, or, or they were abusive to those who worked for them, or, or they just turned out to be rotten people. When you have thousands of adoring fans telling you you're doing God's work and they're throwing money at you, it is so hard for that not to go to your head. But it's not just those high-profile type people who are tempted. It's every one of us. Every one of us has a sinful nature. Every one of us has a deceitful heart. Those who go to church on a regular basis and give their tithe and volunteer their time, how easy it is to grow prideful in what we are doing for God and then make justifications for things that we do against God. Our sinful nature allows us to justify things for which there really is no justification. Pride, greed, selfishness, racism, sexism. That doesn't mean that God's not working through them or through us. God can and does still work his will through sinful people. But that doesn't justify sin. Sin is still sin, and it must be dealt with. Either it is dealt with in our own death and eternal separation from God, or it is dealt with on the cross of Jesus Christ. Samson's sin 
caught up with him in the end. And so will yours. So will yours. If you do not allow God to deal with it in the manner which he has chosen, and that is through Jesus Christ. I'm sure that some of you right now are are thinking about some sinners out there who need to give themselves over to Jesus. You can see their faces. You can name their names. You can list out their sins, perhaps in great detail. I'm not talking about any of them. I'm talking about you. I'm talking about the sin in your life, the deceitfulness of your own heart that keeps you focused on the speck in someone else's eyes while ignoring the logs sticking out of your own face. If there is any sin in your life that you are holding on to, that you are finding ways to justify, if there is any unrighteousness that you haven't yet acknowledged and are urgently pleading and praying for God to remove from your life, then you are in danger. You are in as much danger as Samson when he had the entire Philistine army coming after him. God's plan of salvation for you is this. He forgives your sin through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. But he doesn't just remove the guilt so that you can go out and and sin all the more, so that grace will abound all the more. By no means, the Apostle Paul says. Heaven forbid that we should use the grace of God or the sovereignty of God as an excuse to get away with doing whatever we want, even if it hurts other people, even if it breaks down community, even if it is contrary to God's law of love. God's plan of salvation is not just to wipe away the guilt of sin, but to wipe away sin entirely, to sanctify us, to make us holy, to remake us over into the image of Jesus Christ. Samson didn't get that. He was God's man, yes. God worked his plan of bringing trouble on the Philistines through Samson. But God could not work his plan of ultimate salvation in Samson. Because all Samson cared about was himself. Samson was content in his sinful nature. And so, in the end, Samson's fate was exactly the same as all the Philistines that he had come against. Let Samson be a cautionary tale for you. God wants to deliver you, not just from the Philistines of this world. God wants to deliver you from all sin and from eternal death. God wants to give you life. Don't allow yourself to settle in sin, to be content in sin. Don't make justifications for something for which there is no justification. Rather, turn it all over to God. Your words, your actions, your thoughts, your life, turn them all over to God and allow the Holy Spirit to do 
the work of sanctification in you. Amen. Amen. For the last hymn, we're asking all the men to come forth and help us sing, Rise Up, O Men of God. This has become somewhat of a traditional thing, and uh, it's always exciting to hear all the men come and sing together this great song. So why don't you come forward? The, the words will be on the screen back there, so you really don't need your hymnal. If you feel like you need the hymnal, bring it in page 576. And following the hymn, pastor will have the benediction. in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. May the power of the Holy Spirit work in your heart and in your life to make you God's pure and holy child. Go in the name of God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.
yell at somebody. Now you're going to be going to the I will be going. I'm sorry.